Hello, church family. Many of you probably know me, but just as a reintroduction for those that might be here for the first time, my name is Gregory, and I'm a member of this church. Proud to be a member of this church. This last week, I celebrated one year of recovery from addiction. I have not achieved this on my own, but rather, I've been able to do this through the grace and love of my Lord Jesus Christ. It is a saving grace that today I speak to you not as a former addict, but as a freed child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The gospel is not just for the lost and the sinner, but it is also for the addict, especially those still trapped in addiction. May I be so bold to suggest that Jesus even meant for those in addiction and those in those kinds of afflictions to be the primary target and recipient of that gospel, for they are so desperate for a way out. After all, Jesus did not go to those who were already well or those who were supposedly in God's good grace, but rather he went to those who were sick and in need of healing, both physically and spiritually. Because of my history and familiarity with this struggle, I am also a digital missionary in my online outreach ministry named Brassboro Church. My ministry's main goal is twofold. First slide, please. Uh, really? I didn't make it big enough. All right, I'll just go ahead and read it. Number one, <laughs> technical difficulties will work it out to preach the gospel to all those who will hear it and pray for its power to change their lives. And number two, to reach out to those on the margins of society and give them com the compassion and aid they need, specifically those trapped in addiction or homelessness, because quite often you will see, see that the two affect one another. When I was first given the, the vision for this ministry, I was told by God that it would be a difficult thing to pursue and accomplish for many reasons. The biggest reason is something he revealed to me yesterday as I was reading my devotions. Because of this revealing through the word of God and its contents, today's message is titled, Mercy, Not Sacrifice. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 through 13. Let's see. Oh, it's a bit further back. There we go. I'm reading out of the NLT today, as it is my primary translation, but any translation is good as long as it's inspired. Verse 10 says Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home. Next slide. Oh, really? Geez, that's real small. I should really make sure I proofread this before I... <laughs> okay, all right. I'll go ahead and just read it. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he asked, he said... Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. The religious leader's blindness astounded him. How could he reveal God's love to these folks? 
if you didn't hang out with them, if you don't take the time to actually spend time with people, how will they know or care what you know about the gospel? In verse 13, he adds, Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not, not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. He was quoting the prophet Hosea, who centuries earlier had condemned the Jews for attempting to excuse their idolatry and their oppression of the poor by offering animal sacrifices, as was written in the law. In the passage of Hosea, we see the full scope of God's admonition of Israel. Chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, now he will heal us. He has injured us, and now he will bandage our wounds. In just a short time, he will restore us so that we may live in his presence. Oh, that we might know the Lord. Let us press on to know him. He will respond to us as surely as the arrival of dawn or the coming of rains in early spring. Oh, Israel and Judah, what should I do with you, asks the Lord. For your love vanishes like the morning mist and disappears like dew in the sunlight. I sent my prophets to cut you to pieces, to slaughter you with my words, with judgments as inescapable as light. I want, to show you, I want you to show love, not after, offer sac sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. God always values mercy over sacrifice. But what exactly does this mean? At first, I believed it to be a matter of doing more outreach and serving people in our community. But the more I really meditated on the word of God that he gave me, the more I realized it was something more. Let's take a moment to analyze a simple sentence. I sacrificed my time treasures and talents to serve God. By itself, this phrase can be harmless, just a normal standard sentence you say in any church. But notice the words here. I sacrificed my time, treasures, and talents to serve God. Two mentions of self and one mention of God. And this led me to a realization. God doesn't care about what we do. He cares about our attitude and why we're doing it. He doesn't care how many outreaches we are a part of, but rather, where's our heart? Are we doing this to serve God or are we doing this to look good? Are you doing this to, you know, just fill a gap? Because honestly, I can fill gaps everywhere. But does it serve God if my heart isn't in it or if my heart isn't right with it? What this means is God is far less concerned with the activities and outreaches we conduct, although he does tell us to reach out to the widow and the orphan. But is our heart, like I said, in the right place to serve God and others? God himself put mercy on center stage when he gave us new life in Jesus. The word says in Ephesians 2, 4 and 5, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. I'm reminded of a story from a, of a woman who moved to North Carolina with her family. 
and a friend invited her to join her cook team at the local soup kitchen. Initially, she went because she thought the experience would be good for her, made her more aware of her blessings, and increased her compassion for those less fortunate. She shares this story to say that she realizes that this perspective was wrong. Not only wrong, but harmful to what God wanted to do through her. She says that as the months passed, her attitude changed. Seeing some of the same folks in the serving line twice a month led to conversation. Hey Marie, how's your week been? Is your cold come? Raymond, have your new meds been, been making it easier to sleep? When are they going to do that surgery on your finger, buddy? A few months later, she started giving the pre-lunch devotion once a month. And before she blessed the food, she asked for prayer requests. Listening to what was on people's hearts drew her closer to them. Praying for them planted their needs and concerns in her heart. When we pray for people, when we offer prayer for people, we're, in, we're planting in our own hearts the desires and needs of those who God loves and who we should love. She made sure that Billy would get a can of the Mountain Dew he loved and reminisced with Barbara, who grew up with her in her hometown. Chatted with Donnie when, he cut up, when she cut up his meat because he had a deformed right hand that couldn't cut it himself. It wasn't so much about the service as it was about the relationship. What's our word? Relationship, right? Yeah. You know, <laughs> if we focus on that, the rest falls into place because when we connect with people on a deeper level than just, hey, how you doing? Or... Hi, at Walmart, you know, one word is great, but if we don't go past that one word, how do we connect, and how do people care what we know? When was the last time that an act of service felt like work you had to put effort into instead of something that just comes natural? I know for me, I still struggle with that at times. And I pray for God to give me new insight and new wisdom and a new perspective every time I find that cropping up because I know that's not God's heart. God's heart isn't to look at service as a work, but rather as a witness. That isn't to say the service isn't hard. There will be times in our life when service in the name of Jesus requires effort and hard work. But that just means it's even more important to find joy in the work and to find joy in God working in it. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Great joy! I mean, do we always feel that way? No, but should we try? Should we try to allow God to make us feel that way? Yes. <laughs> For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. When we allow our endurance to be able to grow, we find that we lean more on God and not ourselves. We lean more on his understanding instead of our limited perspective because that is how we grow in Christ and in faith. When trouble in your service comes, it is a challenge of your faith in God to carry you through it. God gives us many things, but he never gives us no-win situations. 
His word in, says this in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand, but when you are tempted, when, not if, when, because it comes, but when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. <laughs> How's our endurance, church? I know for me, I'm still growing it. But God is good to keep growing it and keep giving me the strength to grow. Because when I grow, I find that God does exceedingly more than I could ask or imagine in my life and in the lives of others that I touch. Not only this, but God wants us to do good in his name so that others can see him in us. And we know the good things we should do, but, and I'm guilty of it too at times, if we avoid them out of, con out of concern for convenience, God gives us a clear warning. James 4, 17 says, Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. If you know to do good and you do it not, it is counted as sin against you, says other translations. You know, that's a personal conviction. Because if I come up against something where I'm like, oh, I got something else I got to do, or, well, I don't have a time in my schedule, or, man, I'm tired. I mean, I'm tired all the time. Just ask mom. But, you know. <laughs> but <laughs> Keep it to Craig. Keep it together, Gregory. You got a bit more. But if I allow my exhaustion or my tiredness or my busyness, you know, busy is an acronym, not a word. It means buried under Satan's yoke. If we're too busy to serve God, that's Satan working to keep us away. I didn't, I didn't come up with that. That was a friend of mine, but you know, I love it, so I keep using it. <laughs> So what is the way that he shows this path of endurance for us? It is through prayer. He gives us through our prayer life and through our prayer dedication to him the tools necessary to get, navigate life in a faithful manner. Letting nothing, nothing, come between us and his mercy for us and serving him in that merciful love that we have. So how do we take this whole picture and apply it to our lives today in 2022-2023. We got a couple of months left in this year, so looking at the future. First, we must seek God's will through our service that we will not be self-serving, but serving others in our walk. And that is still a very clear personal conviction in my life that I try to be very faithful to. Second, we must pray for opportunities to open up for us to serve those who need grace and then take that opportunity when it presents itself. God opens a door, but he doesn't help you walk through it. You have to make that choice yourself. If you're not walking through the doors he's opening, what's he doing? And what are you doing? What am I doing? Because when I don't walk through an open door that God has made known to me, I'm just saying, yeah, that's nice, God, I'll wait for the next one. And the next one might not come. No one has promised tomorrow. No one has promised the next moment. So you know what? Take the chance when God's offering it. And then third, 
Pray for partners in this journey so that with them we can continue to reach people for the sake of the gospel. You know, the gospel shouldn't just be shared on the streets, but also in the church. For I believe that the gospel isn't just for the lost, but for the saved as well. If we get weighed down by the world over the course of the six days before Sunday, what better way to throw off those chains and shackles than to remind ourselves every day of the merciful love of Jesus? And for those who might say, because I used to say it too, well, the gospel sounds wonderful and all, but I couldn't possibly be able to receive God's grace. I've done too much. I've been too bad. You don't know what I've done, but God does, and he doesn't love me. You know what? I want to bring your attention to Song of Tarsus, who was, never, who was later renamed Paul. His rap sheet, as the young people say, <laughs> is quite long. Not only was he among the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders and teachers of his day, but he was also one of the leaders in persecuting the early Christian church and very likely oversaw the jailing and execution of Christians in his day. He was vehemently against anything that went against his established beliefs and faith. And he was what he described himself as a chief of sinners. Until the road to Damascus, Saul had gone uncontested and had no challenge to his beliefs. But when Jesus appeared to him and declared himself to be the one whom he was persecuting, Saul saw the truth and was blinded until Ananias came and healed him. Then he accepted that truth of who Jesus was and allowed the work of salvation to transform him, even resulting in his new name, Paul. If Jesus can not only forgive but deliver Paul, his greatest accuser and persecutor, then how is it that we're beyond his grace? How is it that we think we're too bad to be forgiven? When you, when you have that thought that Jesus would never forgive you because you've done too many things wrong, that is the enemy Satan himself whispering in your ear. Doing his level best, his best work, same tactics, new form, lies to keep you to himself because he knows how much God could do through you when you let him. For those of you that may not be certain of your salvation, I implore, I implore you, I beg you, accept this free gift, the gift of salvation in Christ alone. Going back to Ephesians, it says, you were saved by grace, not works so no one may boast. God's already done the work. Christ already died for your sins. All you have to do is confess Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart he was raised from the dead and you will be saved, says the word. So I ask this one question for those that might not be certain. What is keeping you from accepting the free gift of salvation today? As I close, I want to ask that if anyone here is unsure of whether they made that decision, that you leave knowing you have, that you leave knowing your eternal salvation is secure. For tomorrow is not promised to anyone, and today, says the word, today is the day of salvation. Amen. Lord, 
please pray with me. Lord, as we offer up our surrender to your power in both salvation and in grace, we just ask that you would reveal to us what's our heart like and how can we serve you more completely and effectively whether it be through time, talents, or offerings. Lord, give us the wisdom to know when to walk through that door. And Lord, for those that do not know you yet, prick their hearts. Nudge them towards you. Lord, we know you're already doing it. I just ask that they would be willing to hear your voice. And as we move forward into the new year, I ask that we would do more to serve you and to spread your gospel. Do more than we could ever believe or imagine or see through our own eyes because you are the great miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. You are the chain breaker. You've freed the captives and you have healed the sick and I thank you for that. We ask you for your power and presence in our time of worship. In Jesus' name, amen.